good to be back. Uh, thank you for your prayers. Uh, I know a lot of you were praying, especially for the pain level. And I'll have to say that um, when I came out of surgery, the, the doctor had prescribed some good narcotic pain medicine for me. And I took that uh, the day that afternoon after surgery, and I think the next morning, and then I was through with that kind of stuff. Uh, I don't need that no more. Twitch gives me 58 good narcotic pills I don't know what to do with. <laughs> Come see me afterwards. <laughs> I went on ibuprofen and Tylenol. I did that for a couple days. And then the pain just all went away. It was just all gone. There was no more pain whatsoever. And I was telling somebody that for the past over a year, every time I have gotten up out of a chair, you know, it's been that ooh, pain type of a thing. And I find myself getting out of the chair. I'm going, oh, hold on. I don't have to do that anymore. Uh, you know, the, the, it, it's great. It is really good. And um, I'm glad to be here. I missed you last week. I wanted to come to church last week. My wife said no. Uh, I'm supposed to wait. And um, so I guess if you want to pray for me now, pray I don't overdo it. Because I told Karen, says, I'm ready to go back to work. You know, I'm, I'm ready to go paint the house or do something, you know, let's, let's get on with life, but um, can't, can't do that, gotta wait, gotta wait. Let's pray. Lord, I pray today that you would give us a hypersensitive heart to the working of the Holy Spirit. Father, may we allow your Spirit to just speak to us, speak to our, our deepest needs, our deepest wants. Convict us where we need convicting. Encourage us where we need encouraging. Enlighten us. And Father, may we be obedient to whatever your spirit asks of us today. For I pray in Christ's name, amen. If someone were to ask you, what is eternal life? What is eternal life? What would your answer be? I want you to think about that for a minute. How would you answer that? What is eternal life? When I was younger, growing up, my, my answer probably, my first response probably would have been, eternal life means living forever and ever. That's what eternal life is. And that is true, but there's something missing from that definition. Later on, as I grew maybe more in the word and in my knowledge, I would have defined eternal life this way. Eternal life means to live forever and ever with God. That's better. Not just living forever and ever. It's living forever and ever with God. But then as I, you know, got a little bit more knowledge in there, my, my next thought was, well, Eternal life means to live forever and ever with God and without sin. That's a big part of it, isn't it? Looking forward to that day. That about covers it, right? Living forever and ever with God and without sin. Jesus had a different definition of that. This is not going to be up on the screen, so you're going to have to actually use your Bible this morning. Okay? Here we go. John 17, 3. John 17, 3. This is 
our Lord's intercessory prayer for believers, including you and me. And this is how Jesus defines eternal life. He says this, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus said eternal life is knowing God. Knowing God. Now there are different Greek words that are used for our English word know. For instance, there's a, a Greek word that means to have an intellectual understanding about something. That's not the word that's used here. There's the word that is used here, which means to come to know to recognize, to understand, or to understand completely. Gnosko. Eternal life is getting to know God or knowing God completely, or as we've been talking about in the past several months, eternal life is getting to know God intimately. That's what eternal life is all about. It's not just about living forever and ever with God without sin because we could do that and still not know God intimately. Now, when do we get eternal life? When we die? No. The moment we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are given eternal life. So we have eternal life right now. And Jesus said that eternal life right now is getting to know God intimately. Have that relationship with him. Now we can talk about what that looks like. We can ask, you know, how do we do that? But none of that will do us any good until we come to the place where we really want it. That's what I want to talk about today. Do we really want Want it? Do we really want an intimate relationship with God? Do we desire it? Or if we want to use some biblical terminology here, are we thirsty for it? Do we have a thirst to have an intimate, personal, close relationship with God? So I'm going to begin and end my sermon today with this question. Are you thirsty? On a scale of 1 to 10, how thirsty are you for a close, intimate, and personal relationship with God? I'm not going to ask you to give your number out loud, but I want you to come up with a number right now. A scale of 1 to 10. 1 being I have no desire to have an intimate relationship with God. And 10 being I I have an overwhelming desire to have an intimate relationship with God. Pick a number. Any number. Now, look over this past week. Do your actions support the number you picked? You might say... uh, Yeah, I picked one, and sure enough, I didn't spend any time with God at all. My actions support the number I picked. Or you might say, no, I picked nine, but I didn't spend any time with God either this past week. My actions do not support the number 
that I picked. As we ask the question, are you thirsty? It's a very important question I think every Christian needs to ask. Let me explain why. See, I believe being thirsty is the key to living the Christian life. Without being thirsty for that intimate relationship with God, we're never going to succeed in this adventure that God calls the Christian life. Let's go to John chapter 7 this morning. This will be our main text. We'll go a few other places, but keep your finger here in John chapter 7. Beginning in verse 37. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, If you are thirsty, come to me. If you believe in me, come and drink. For the scriptures declare that rivers of living water will flow out from within. Notice the first words of Jesus here are, If you are thirsty. It begins with a condition. If you are thirsty. Now, what's he talking about here? Well, he's obviously he's not talking about a physical thirst. The Bible does talk about a physical thirst. And in Isaiah, for instance, chapter 41, verses 17 and 18, it says, the, the poor and needy search for water, but there is none. Their tongue is parched with thirst. But I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will make rivers flow in barren heights and springs within the valleys. I will turn the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into springs. Isaiah here is referring to a time when God judges Israel for their sin. And there's going to be a drought. There's not going to be any water for the animals. There's not going to be any water for the crops. But God says, I will not forsake you. I will turn the deserts into pools of water. But I want you to notice, who is searching for water here in Isaiah? It's the poor and the needy that are searching for water. The poor and the needy. It's those who are thirsty and acknowledge their thirst that God gives water to. It's those who are searching for water that the Lord answers. Without the acknowledgement of thirst, there there, there is no response from God. I don't get thirsty. Or if I do get thirsty, I do not recognize it as thirst. I can go all day long and not drink anything, not a cup of water. I probably walk through life dehydrated. If I do drink something, it'd probably be a Diet Coke, and they say that's, that's worse than not drinking anything at all. You know? How many people spiritually go through their life without ever being thirsty? Or if they are thirsty, they never recognize the fact that they are thirsty. Those who are searching for water, those are the ones that the, the Lord gives water to. Now again, Isaiah is talking about real, literal water here. But if we go over to Isaiah 58, verse 11. Here it's not literal water, but rather the satisfaction of our deepest needs. Isaiah 58, 11 says, The Lord will guide you always. 
He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Here it's a thirst for strength that never fails. Have you experienced this type of a thirst before? It's a spiritual thirst. It's it's a thirsting for, for nothing less than God himself. In my experience of over 45 years now in ministry, I find there are so many people who do not experience what God has in mind for them, what God wants for them. So many walk in a dry and a weary land where there there is no water. And and the question often is, is this all there is to the Christian life? It doesn't seem like much. It's, it's, I go to church and, you know, and, and, and a few things, but it, is this it? There, there's a deep thirst within, but there's no personal satisfaction. I have found that even for Christians, there is often a very empty void in their life. A void that only an intimate relationship with God can fill. And, you know, this involves worshiping and praising him. It, it involves listening to his voice, reading, meditating on his word, sharing our hearts with him, interceding for the needs that he shares with us. But in the busyness of our day, do we ever really stop and acknowledge that thirst One of the benefits of the past 10 days is I have had a lot of time on my hands. Do whatever I want. And years ago, I used to, uh, after I had my one, what I call my one-on-one times with God, I I liked to journal. I would write down what it was God had spoken to me about. But again, it was a period of my time where I had a lot of time on my hands. And so I started typing them up. And I called them my ramblings. And over a process of time, I had several hundred of them all typed up, and they ended up being my book, uh, Sometimes We Suffer. But one of the things that uh, I felt God was leading me to do was to share these things. Whatever God was sharing with me, you know, we, we need to be sponges, not blotters. We need to just soak it in and then squeeze it out, you know, let other people benefit. And I started publishing them, and so something in the last 10 days I've been able to do is to start doing that. Uh, I've, I've changed it from my ramblings to just rambling on, uh, okay? And uh, I publish them on my Facebook page. And if you want to be my Facebook friend, I'll, I'll, I'll invite you in, okay, uh, there. And it's interesting as it takes about three hours to do the whole process, and that's why I really can't do it at other times. But what? What a joy it has been for me in the last 10 days to have all that time to sit down in the morning and spend three hours in the Word of God from start to finish to let God speak to my heart and then to share what he's talked with me with with other people. And and I I acknowledge, you know, everybody doesn't have three hours a day to do that. Because, you know, just the one-on-one time with God only takes 30 minutes trying to type up without any spelling and grammar errors that takes all the, all the time. But sometimes we're so busy 
that we really don't have time for God. And in fact, I, I said this once, and I'll, people disagreed with me, but that's okay. I'll tell you too. I believe that busyness is the biggest enemy to holiness. Busyness is the biggest enemy to holiness. We in our culture have so been trained that if we're not going 100 miles an hour all the time, we're lazy. And God says, sit and be quiet for a while. I once had a, a deacon say, you mean God wants you, just, wants you to just sit and do nothing? And I said, talking to God isn't doing nothing. You know, it's time well spent. The national average, I read, for people involved in ministry in a local church is about 20%. So 20% of the people in the church are involved in actively doing something in the church. I don't know how that works here, but that's the national average. The previous church I was at, we had 70% of the people in the congregation involved in some kind of ministry. And I always thought, man, this is great. This is wonderful. We're beating the national average by a whole bunch. But then I got wondering, I wonder if we in the church are keeping people so busy doing things for God that they never have time to become the people that God wants them to be. See, we can be busy doing church work. We can be busy going to Bible studies. We can be busy doing all sorts of things that actually take away our time from sitting quietly one-on-one -on -one with God. And until there's a thirst, we cannot go on in our walk with God. Which really brings up now the idea of what do we do when we have this thirst? Let's go back to our main passage this morning, John 7, 37. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowd, If you are thirsty, come to me. If you believe in me, come and drink. Notice what Jesus did not say. He did not say, If you are thirsty, go to seminary. He did not say, If you are thirsty, get involved in a church ministry. He did not say, if you are thirsty, thirsty, do something religious. What did he say? Come to me. You're thirsty. Come to me. It's an invitation for a relationship. It's an invitation to know him personally, intimately, experientially. I think Paul built on this over in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, when Paul expressed the desire of his heart, and he says, I want to know Christ. And again, he uses that word for intimate, personal, close relationship. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings becoming like him in his death. Paul's greatest desire was to know Christ. Not just know about him. But how many times do we settle for just knowing about him? But to know him personally. 
intimately, experientially. The difference in knowing about someone and knowing him is the difference between Abraham Lincoln and my wife Karen. I know about Abraham Lincoln, but I know Karen. How many of us settle for an Abraham Lincoln relationship with God where we just know about him instead of knowing him? Paul says not just know about him, but to know him personally. And from knowing Christ comes the power of God. He says in our life, from knowing Christ comes the fellowship that only comes from sharing in his suffering. I don't know what you were told when you got saved. But if you asked, what do I do now? And if the answer was anything but get to know Christ, then you were told the wrong thing. Get to know Christ intimately, personally. When Jesus met the woman at the well in John 4, he said this about himself. Let me read from John 4, 7. It says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Jesus says he's the source of living water. He's the source of life-giving water. What kind of life? He's the source of the water that we thirst for. What kind of life can we expect? John 10, 10 Said, Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. New Living Translation says, my purpose is to give life in all of its fullness. Friends, I believe with all of my heart, there's no other way to have life in its fullness other than drawing close to Christ. To those who thirst and come to Christ, God promises some great and wonderful things. Let's go back to our text here. John chapter 7, verse 37. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowd, If you are thirsty, come to me. If you believe in me, come and drink. For the scriptures declare that rivers of living water will flow out from within. First, notice, their thirst is satisfied. There will be a river of living water within them. God will satisfy our need. The thirstiness will go away. Jeremiah 33.3 Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. God has some great and mighty things that he wants us to experience but he will only reveal them to those who call upon him. Who's going to call on him? Only those who are thirsty. Thirsty for more. 
See, those who aren't thirsty don't call, don't get to experience the great and mighty things that God has for them. In the Beatitudes, over in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Who gets filled? Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is God's own promise here, that for those who are thirsty, he will fill. Do you believe that promise? Do you believe that promise today? If you call, he will come, he will fill. Do you need more proof? Okay, let's go to John chapter 6, verse 35. You're a stubborn group. I've got to give you more. Okay, here we go. John 6, 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus promised that he can and will satisfy the thirst of our soul. But notice the condition. He who believes. He who believes. We have that same condition here in John 7. Back to our text again. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowd, If you are thirsty, come to me. If you believe in me. If you believe, come and drink. For the scripture declare that rivers of living water will flow out from within. There are some people who who believe that Christ has really offered more than he can deliver. People who admit that they're, they're not experiencing all that Christ has promised. But we've been promised love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. We, we've been promised a lot of things in the scripture, and people say, I'm not experiencing that. God has over-advertised, and he can't deliver on what he's promised. I don't believe God over-advertises. I believe the problem isn't there. The problem's here. It comes down to a question of believing. If you believe in me, come and drink. Some people are desperately thirsty for what Christ is offering but for some reason, they just can't believe that God can come through for them. And God says, believe. Let me talk a little bit about that word believe. The word believe really means to say, to make a choice to believe. I choose to believe. Some people think it's an emotion or, or something, but it's, it's really, it's an act. It's saying, I choose to believe, regardless of what I know, regardless of what I feel, I simply choose to believe. When I was a little kid, I believed in electricity. Actually, I still do, okay. I didn't know anything about it. Someone said, electricity is what makes the lights work, and I chose to believe it, and I flipped the switch. Well, actually, back then, it was you pushed the button. And the, some of you remember those light switches, right? Okay. 
and the lights came on. I didn't have a feeling about electricity. I didn't have any knowledge about electricity. I chose simply to believe, and I pushed the button, and the lights came on. That's what believing is. Choose first to believe God, and then watch God keep his promises. In the book of Revelation, 21st chapter, Sixth verse. And he also said, It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give the springs of the water of life without charge. What does without charge mean? Free. What's the biblical word for free? Grace. Grace. It means that God gives the springs of living water by his grace. We don't earn it. We don't merit it. We don't deserve it. In fact, we can be a total failure in our life. It doesn't matter. We may have messed up time after time in our walk with God. Perhaps we've caved into temptations over and over again after promising God that we would never do that again. Maybe we've tried to have a consistent devotional life, but every time we try, we soon forget all about. It doesn't matter. Because God says, this is something I would like to do within you because of my unconditional love for you. I want to have that intimate relationship with you. And it's not based upon your faithfulness. It's based upon my grace, my love. God says, I don't care how many times you've failed. This is a grace gift for you. And if you will just believe me, I will do it for you. Now let me ask the question, what have you got to lose here? What have you got to lose? Nothing by believing God. But on the other hand, we've got so much to lose if we don't believe God. We lose the rivers of living water that satisfy my soul's deepest need. One more thing in our primary text this morning, John 7, 37. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowd, if you are thirsty, come to me. If you believe in me, come and drink. For the scriptures declare that rivers of living water will flow out from within. Now, not only does God fill you with the rivers of living water, but from you, it will flow out to other people. Not only does God say, I will fill you, 
It says, I'm going to fill you with myself, with my Holy Spirit, that from you, the living waters are going to flow out and it's going to affect other people. It's going to touch other people. It's going to change other people's lives. You see, when we're filled with living water, then we've got something to share with others. When it's real with us, then we have the integrity and we have the credibility to share with other people what God has done for us. But before we can serve the Lord, we first must be filled ourselves. We, we so often get the cart before the horse. So I ask you this morning, are you thirsty? Do you thirst for a deeper relationship with Christ? If you're thirsty this morning, would you tell God that? If, if, if you aren't thirsty, but you want to be thirsty, you want to have that thirst, would, would you tell him that? In a moment, we're going to close the service and we're going to sing a song. And Maybe this morning, instead of singing the last song, maybe you just need to sit there and talk to God. That's okay. Maybe this morning you're saying, I, man, I so thirst for God. I want to build a spiritual monument today to a decision to thirst for him, to believe in him. Maybe you might want to come forward and kneel and build that spiritual monument. Maybe you want to stand and sing because you know that, that, that God is all and in all for you. I want you to do whatever you feel God is leading to do. But answer the question today, are you thirsty? Are you thirsty for God? Let's bow together.